Welcome to the Nutrition Reviews podcast series. Nutrition Reviews is published by Oxford University Press and is an international peer-reviewed journal that publishes authoritative and critical literature reviews on current and emerging topics in nutritional science, food science, clinical nutrition, and nutrition policy. Each month, we talk with authors who have contributed to Nutrition Reviews to find out who they are, why they wrote the review, and how they think their reviews should be used to advance nutritional sciences. I'm Douglas Tarrin, the Editor-in-Chief for Nutrition Reviews, and this month I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Sophia Amenye and Dr. Diane Lise Murdoch from the Ulster University Genomic Medicine Research Group at the School of Biomedical Sciences in Coleraine, Northern Ireland. They wrote a paper on the influence of nutrients involved in one-carbon metabolism on DNA methylation in adults, including a meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials of folic acid and vitamin B12 supplementation. This is an important contribution given that DNA methylation has a critical epigenetic role in human development. So welcome to the podcast, Sophia and Diane. I really am happy that you're with me today to talk about your paper and just to give us a little bit of background about who you are and why you are studying this area. So I'm going to start off with Sophia and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you very much, Doc, for the invitation. It feels really exciting to take part in this podcast today. So I'm currently working as a postdoctoral research fellow. However, this work was carried out as part of my PhD research at Ulster University with, under the supervision of Dr. Diane Maddox and Professor Mary Ward um, within the Genomic Medicine Research Group and the Nutrition Innovation Center for Food and Health. So personally, I believe with healthy diets and lifestyle, many diseases can be prevented and people can live a healthy and happy life. And that is why I got interested in nutrition. And after my bachelor's in nutrition and food science at the University of Ghana, I moved on to study a master's degree in public health nutrition at Ghent University in Belgium, and then on to this PhD, which focused on nutrition and epigenetics at Ulster University. Um, the project on epigenetics and nutrition was very exciting since it explored the molecular and epigenetic aspects of nutrition and offers the potential for personalized nutrition therapy. Um, my work as a nutrition helped me to contribute to research that improves people's health and well-being, and also um, to public health policy. Diane, tell us a little bit more about your laboratory at Ulster University, and you're working in, obviously, folic acid and B12, but what other things are you working on in, in addition to the methylation work? Sure, Doug. Thank you very much, first of all, for the invitation to take part in the podcast today. I'm a senior lecturer and a member of the Genomic Medicine Group. My research interests lie mainly in epigenetics, particularly DNA methylation in health and disease, age-related disease. I work closely with Mary Ward, Helene McNulty and colleagues in the Nutrition Innovation Centre for Food and Health, also based here at Ulster, on the floor just above me actually. And since I began my research career, a growing body of evidence has increasingly pointed towards a nutritional influence on epigenetics. One carbon metabolism, which is the key 
pathway that supplies methyl groups for biological reactions, offers a link between nutrition and the epigenome. Fortuitously, my colleagues in a Nutrition Innovation Centre here at Ulster have particular expertise in 1-carbon metabolism and B vitamins. Through various interactions and discussions with Professor Mary Ward, I became particularly interested in investigating the effects on DNA methylation of B vitamins and polymorphisms in enzymes that regulate 1-carbon metabolism. Professor Ward and her colleagues have previously carried out randomized control trials, which demonstrated that vitamin B2, also known as riboflavin, can reduce blood pressure in individuals with a polymorphism in a key one carbon metabolism gene, MTHFR. So this work was fascinating to us and working together with Professor Ward, we have been greatly encouraged and uh, we've been able to provide the first randomized control trial evidence that riboflavin reduces global DNA methylation and alters methylation at some specific genes linked to blood pressure regulation in people with the MTHFR polymorphism. This work has recently been published in Biochemie and we've got another manuscript undergoing peer review at the moment. So the main focus of the laboratory is on methylation in ageing and age-related disease. However, there has been some conflicting evidence for the role of specific nutrients within the One Carbon Network on DNA methylation in adults. So it seemed timely for a systematic review and meta-analysis to investigate the influence of nutrients involved in this pathway on DNA methylation in adults. Are you proposing that more DNA methylation always uh, improves health and nutritional status? There is some evidence to show that changes in methylation actually go in both directions when we supplement with folic acid and B vitamins. And we think this is because there are a whole host of methylation reactions uh, that occur within the body and that any new methyl groups that are being produced by this excess of B vitamins can also be directed to other pathways where they're maybe more critically needed at that particular point in time. And there's also new evidence to show that DNA methylation is a process which is in continual flux within the cell. So whenever we're assaying DNA methylation, it's really just a snapshot of a particular time point. And time points around that, the methylation can be either higher or lower as well. But certainly there is increasing evidence that changes in DNA methylation are involved in disease processes. One of the things I found really interesting about the paper is how complex it is. You looked at many different you know, parameters that might lead to heterogeneity in, across the studies. You looked at different laboratory methods. You looked at different tissues that the methylation was occurring in. And the amount of data that you produce in this paper is quite impressive in the sense that you had multiple analyses going on, both at the observational data and the, the meta-analysis with the randomized controlled trial. I saw that your, one of your recommendations is to help standardize some of these methodologies, especially the line methods. Can you provide maybe a little bit of information, maybe Sophia, about what type of recommendations you would make to laboratories about how to help standardize those methods? Uh, so uh, our study highlighted the importance of appropriate study design, as well as the choice of um, assay in um, 
analyzing DNA methylation. So first of all, the randomized control trials, which will uh, provide a more robust evidence on this effect, is currently scarce. So studies of this type will be very helpful to clarify the role of B vitamins in modulating DNA methylation. Also, longitudinal studies which can help exclude um, inter-individual variation in the methylation signal will be particularly helpful to elucidate the role of diet in disease going forward. And biochemical biomarker concentrations as opposed to dietary intake um, should also be included in this studies to provide a more reliable indicator to investigate the relationship between these comments and DNA methylation. But with regards to the specific assays used in analyzing DNA methylation, so what we found in the meta-analysis was that a predefined subgroup analysis of global methylation shows that supplementation with folic acid alone or in combination with vitamin B12, the studies that use LCMS in comparison to studies using line one or pyrosequencing or the methyl acceptance assay showed an increased increased methylation response to supplementation. And uh, LCMS techniques are extremely sensitive. So they are able to detect their overall cellular type methyl cytosine and there are guidelines on standardization published for LCMS methods by both the FDA and European Medicines Agency. And for example, the methyl assay is semi-quantitative and confounded by suboptimal um, enzyme activity. So it results in substantial assay variability when it's to detect methylation, and that resulted in higher higher heterogeneity. However, surprisingly, um, the studies using line one pyrosequencing did not detect any effect. And line one is a repetitive element making up one fifth of the human genome, and it's frequently used as a surrogate marker for global methylation. Line one pyrosequencing is also very sensitive, and uh, a recent multi-center benchmark marking study taken by the Blue Team Consortium showed that um, line one pyrosequencing gives highly reproducible results across multiple labs. However, in the studies that we reviewed, there was higher heterogeneity in line one pyrosequencing studies, um, which may have prevented the detection of an effect. For example, um, the different studies analyze different number of EPG sites or use different um, assays and this um, introduce heterogeneity. Our recommendation is that line one is often preferred over LCMS for global methylation because of the necessary technique. It's, it's easier to carry out line one and pyrosequencing assays, but to enable a meaningful comparison of global methylation between studies using line one, Researchers in the field need to adopt a more standardized approach. And given the already proven reproducibility of the version of the assay used by the Blueprint Consortium, a reasonable recommendation would be the widespread adoption of this particular version of the assay. So basically, making sure you use the same approach each time across different studies. 
that's really helps the, prevent the heterogeneity of the studies. Sophia, can you tell me a little bit more about what your current plans are? You said you're doing a postdoc and you're currently still studying folic acid and methylation. Is that the area you plan to keep working in or do you have other ideas about where you might go in your career? Yeah, so I have moved on now to a postdoc and I'm working on an EU project which um, seeks to co-create an innovative model to that holistically combine healthy waste and employability interventions to reduce obesity and increase employment in deprived communities. And I'm hoping that we have the potential to investigate epigenetic effects linked to socioeconomic status in the future. It, it seems to me that the, the socioeconomic effects is from a public health perspective, is something also that affects methylation, right? Because the socioeconomic factors affect what we eat. And I know you're working on supplement, you've been working on supplementation. However, just our diets by themselves with or without supplementation will also affect methylation, correct? So you might be seeing differences in the levels of methylation by socioeconomic status. Is that possible too? That's right, and there have been some studies published that show that with different socioeconomic status, there are definitely differences in methylation. Are, are there other factors? Uh, you're talking about obesity. We think about obesity as inflammatory response. I'm just wondering how complex it is, those multiple vitamins and that affect methylation. And it just, it, to me, it's mind-boggling we study one factor, like folic acid by itself, then you had folic acid and B12, and then you had folic acid and multiple B vitamins together, all sort of this milieu of chemicals in our bodies um, causing different reactions. And I know this is a difficult area to study because of that, but it's nice to know that if with supplementations, we can see the effects. Do you think that studies that work with a population that's more undernourished would then show a bigger effect if you give them the supplements that compared with those who are already well-nourished. So the supplementation studies should be, if they're done in someone in a high socioeconomic status, will have a different outcome than those who are in a low socioeconomic status on methylation. Yes, I think you're, you're probably very correct. I know that Paul Shields in Glasgow has done some very nice work looking at people from different socioeconomic backgrounds within Glasgow. Within UK, Glasgow has got some of the very richest parts of the population, and that is very starkly contrasted with the very poorest parts of the population. And he has found some striking epigenetic differences between those two populations who are living very close together, but have very different lifestyles. And uh, they have been particularly related to red meat consumption, for example, uh, and the quality of, of the meat that that people eat. Uh, so there are certainly um, other studies that have taken place in the Gambia, where people would have a very low nutritional status to begin with. It, you're absolutely correct. It's difficult to see epigenetic changes in populations who are not deplete to start off with. So 
studies that have looked in the Gambia, seasonal changes in diet are able to very clearly see uh, epigenetic changes as the weather and the food supply shifts from season to season. Uh, and it's clear to see there because the population is quite deficient to begin with. Uh, and something that um, we will probably consider in our future studies. Sophia, has your research changed how you look at diet in your own diet? Yes, certainly it has um, kind of shaped my um, opinion about diet and nutrition because we have, we have long appreciated that a healthy diet um, supplying optimal nutrients is associated with better health and healthier aging. However, there's not much on how um, diet can influence this outcome and it's it's really complicated by so many factors, but epigenetics can offer an insight into how diet can influence our genes and to promote healthy aging and individual susceptibility to disease. Dr. Lise Murdoch, what would be some recommendations that you have for future research? Uh, sure, thanks, Doug. Um, so one carbon metabolism is an important regulatory pathway and, and perturbations to it are associated with adverse health outcomes. We hope that this work is helpful for others in the field uh, to begin unraveling the epigenetics underlying these phenotypic changes and will allow us to understand uh, how they happen. Uh, we certainly hope that a more standardized approach to epigenetic analysis will allow for further comparisons across studies and help us to understand how imbalances in nutrients, particularly B vitamins and polymorphisms in one carbon metabolism may influence disease. Our study um, has highlighted the importance of appropriate study design as well as choice of assay. And um, we were advocates for randomized control trials as they're a, a robust study design. And uh, currently um, the, such studies are, are very scarce, but would definitely be helpful to clarify the role of B vitamins in modulating DNA methylation. Longitudinal studies, um, which can help to exclude problematic inter-individual variation in the methylation signal will also be particularly helpful to elucidate the role of diet in disease going forward. And uh, we were very excited about what we're going to be doing next. We're greatly encouraged by this study showing that folate and related B vitamins can influence global methylation. And going forward, we are particularly interested in the effect of another B vitamin that we've mentioned previously, riboflavin, and are excited by our data, which we've just published uh, in Biochemie that has provided the first RCT evidence that riboflavin can alter global DNA methylation in individuals with the MTHFR TT genotype. We're expanding this work currently. The randomized control trial it has been finished, but we're excited to expand the work into epigenome-wide analysis of samples collected in that trial. Uh, we're working in collaboration with Ricardo Marioni in Edinburgh, and our preliminary work there has identified some exciting new targets which may be involved in blood pressure regulation, which can be modulated by riboflavin. 
I think that this is currently a very exciting time to be working in the nutritional epigenomics field. Uh, and we are very interested in collaborating with researchers who might be interested to investigate epigenetic changes in their cohorts, particularly those who may have longitudinal samples or samples from randomized control trials who are interested in looking at how DNA methylation changes may influence phenotype. Thank you for that great insight on what types of studies are needed with your emphasis on optimizing the use of longitudinal studies that may have a biobank that can be used for further analysis and also the need for randomized controlled trials. We're now out of time, but I do want to thank you for speaking with me today. As you both mentioned, DNA methylation is an important area of nutritional studies as it relates to health and the role of B vitamins. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. The Nutrition Reviews podcast was produced and edited by Eric Healy at the Western Region Public Health Training Center at the University of Arizona Mellon Zuckerman College of Public Health. Original music was created by Eli Ruiz. Funding for the podcast was provided by the International Life Sciences Institute. To get more updated information on nutrition, go to the journal's website at academic.oup.com slash nutrition reviews and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episode is available. Next month, I will be speaking with Dr. Samar Hamad, who is at the Ministry of Health in Kuwait, and Dr. Dylan McKay, who is at the University of Manitoba, about their paper they co-authored with their colleague, Dr. James Friel on the effect of sucralose and aspartame on glucose metabolism and gut hormones. This insightful paper is of great interest given how many people are using low and no calorie sweeteners to help maintain body weight and prevent and manage metabolic diseases. I'm Douglas Terran. Thank you for spending some time with us.